Welcome to episode 76 of Give Yourself Some Leeway with me, your host, Eugene Lee. Today, I'm joined by Rabbi Alfredo Borodowski. Ridiculed by the tabloids back in 2013 as the road rage rabbi, diagnosed with bipolar disorder. After hitting rock bottom through the power of positive psychology, Rabbi Alfredo became a social worker, and now he's a man on a mission to create a community of wisdom for other people suffering with mental illness. If you enjoyed today's conversation, you can reach out at giveyourselfsomeleeway.com Send me a message or a voice note at eugene.leeway on Instagram or shoot me an email, eugene at leeway.ie. As always, I love hearing your feedback. Rabbi Alfredo, welcome to Give Yourself Some Leeway and thank you for taking the time to join the show today. Eugene, thank you for welcoming me and giving me a chance to share some of the wisdom of mental illness. Of course, as always, it's great chatting to you. Uh, for those people who aren't familiar with your backstory, especially being the known as the road rage rabbi, uh, would you mind sharing a bit of your background and where this all began? Well, it all began in Argentina, where I was born. And then I emigrated to the United States. But sometimes people can divide their lives in two, before and after an event. And in my case, I have a day and a time that I really can divide my life. And that day happened 10 years ago on June 19th, 2013. I was driving through the town of Mamaronek outside of New York. And I rolled down my window of the car, my car and I show my badge friends of family and police, and I told a driver to drive more carefully. One minute later, I had three police cars behind me, and 10 minutes later, I was arrested. Four hours later, I was in a court. Three days later, I was hospitalized, fired from my job, and baptized, this rabbi was baptized by the press as the road rage rabbi. And, and, and what happened to me? Well, I was manic and I didn't know I had bipolar. I went to a psychiatrist because my wife told me, you must go because something is not going right with you. And I lied to the psychiatrist. I told him I was depressed. Because I, as I will sh share with, with your audience, a manic does not want to give back, out, doesn't want to give away the power of being manic. It's seductive, that energy, that euphoria, that grandiosity. And I went to the psychiatrist and I told him I am depressed, gave me an antidepressant. I was manic and a congregant of mine who was a retired policeman, gave me a friend and family badge. And I assume, assumed the personality of a police officer. And I began basically telling everybody on highways in New York how to drive. And that's basically brought me to be arrested, lose my job, being 
vilified by the press, becoming suicidal, and ultimately being reborn <laughs> and having to basically build a new life for myself. So that was the point where you became a social worker after um, af after your diagnosis or? Well, <laughs> then after I became the road rage rabbi and the newspapers, even in Ireland and Japan, I was front page, okay? Like being a rabbi, a circus was built around me. You know, the press didn't waste energy or a second to make out of me a circus. And I didn't touch anybody. I wasn't violent. I just told people how to drive. But I was juicy, you know, the rabbi that impersonated a police officer. Then I became an international sensation of a impersonator. I was called a terrorist. I was called all kinds of things. And when that happened, people began coming out of the woods saying, oh, that's the guy that stopped, that told me how to drive, you know, a month ago or two weeks ago. And ultimately, I was arrested four times in Westchester, outside of New York, and I had four cases against me in four different courts in Westchester, and I was fired, I was hospitalized, and I was diagnosed bipolar. I didn't know I, didn't know I was bipolar. And what happened, I couldn't drive, and what happened is that the police association, the commissioner of the police association said, we are going to make out of this rabbi an exemplar. Okay. And I have the police union basically trying to make an exemplar out of me. In some way, maybe I deserved it. Or I was a good case to make an exemplar. And my lawyer said, you know, Alfredo, there is nothing we can do now. Because the DA, found, you know, is it's on a on a, on a situation where he cannot even have a dialogue with us because we have the association against you. You need to wait until things calm down and settle down. And for eight months, Eugene, I was basically on a couch, suffering from depression. I went out to an outpatient program at the hospital, but I was hospitalized a couple of times. I was basically suspended in time, in darkness, on a couch, feeling that my journey was over, that I had nowhere to go and nothing to expect and no future. And one day I went up to my study and something happened. You know, we wonder if there are angels. I can't prove it, but I think that one walked through my home because I found something on my desk, which I tell you, I do not know how it got there. I don't know what force moved me to go up to my desk and to found on my desk the results of a test 
on positive psychology I had taken two years back. I don't know how to go there, Eugene, because I don't recall, you know, this was two years ago. And I opened the results of my positive psychology test and I read my top five strengths of positive psychology and they were creativity, curiosity, love of learning, perseverance, and bravery. And I look at the results and something, a switch went on inside of me. And I said, oh my God, I've been depressed for weeks and months, feeling that I am worth nothing. And I look at the results and 180 degrees turn took place inside of me. And I said, that's me. I had forgotten who I was. And a week later, with the results of positive psychology, I applied to social work school. And by the way, all of them rejected me. Okay. And some of them found out that I had been arrested and I didn't go and tell them, hey, by the way, I am Rabbi Alfredo, want to come to social work school, but I was arrested a couple of months ago because in some ways, it's nobody's business. I wasn't a criminal in terms of I didn't kill anybody and I was not sentenced. Then, you know, hey, I don't have to go around telling you I was arrested, okay? And a couple of them found out and they brought me, by the way, to the school and they said, they, they accused me of lying, okay? Clearly they did not accept me to school, but one school accepted me they, I told them, by the way, after, you know, that, 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 that uh, they knew my story. I went actually to each professor I had during social work school and I shared my story. And I shared it with, many times with, with the students. And by the social work students are, I mean, compassion, walking compassion, pe compassionate people. And I became a social worker and I was depressed at the point. But, but using my strength from positive psychology kept me going. And at the end, Eugene, I was awarded the, there is a prize that they give, an award they give to the most inspiring student. And through my perseverance and creativity and love of learning, I was awarded that you know, that that recognition. And I tell you, I have a PhD, I have a law degree. I don't hang my diplomas on the wall. I know that kind of person. The only thing I have at my home that you can see is that plaque they gave me for the most inspiring person at social work school, because that's not about knowledge. That's not about diplomas. That gave me back my life. It's about recognizing me as a person. And that's what I really treasure. And that's, by the way, what positive psychology, by reading the results of the test, brought me back to life.
So this sounds like a journey of your rediscovery of yourself being authentically you and you by applying positive psychology in your day-to-day life and becoming a social worker, it was very much recognized how much of an impact you could have on others. Again, which made you the most inspiring um, student in the in, in the class. So just for just for people who aren't familiar with positive psychology, what does positive psychology mean to you? Look, positive psychology was born in 1998. The founder is a, a psychologist, Dr. Martin Seligman, who at that time was the president of the American Association of Psychologists, one of the most prestigious positions you can have. And Martin Seligman asked an obvious question that actually had not been fully explored. He said, look, psychology as we know it, explores what is not working with us, trauma, neurosis. And in some way, we've done well with that. And we are helping people to overcome trauma and pain. But he said, that's not all who we are. The psyche also have good things going on. Why aren't we studying what really works in the psyche? What about flourishing? What about resilience? What about courage, perseverance, gratitude? I mean, what about the good things going on in the mind? We had not written papers. We had not done experiments. And he created positive psychology, which is a psychology that studies, that explores how to have a flourishing life. And papers began being, being written about you know, what is to have a meaningful life? What are the strengths that we use? Okay. And they came out with a list of 24 strengths, which are found across cultures and across times. And every person has those 24 strengths, every person. We do not use them in the same way. I mentioned the top five I have, okay? And you, Eugene, may have a different top five, okay? But what we know from experiments is that two thirds of people are blind to their strengths. People do not know the strength, their strengths. It's amazing. Imagine you have a leak at your home, a pipe has bursted and your basement is flooding and you, and you call a plumber and the plumber comes to your home but doesn't have a toolkit, didn't bring any tools. Okay, that's who we are. We are people walking through life and we do not know the tools we have. And what positive psychology is doing is giving people the awareness of the tools they have. And studies show that just by knowing your tools, just by knowing your strengths, you have nine times more chances of flourishing. By applying your strengths, you have 18 times more chances of flourishing. It's, I get frustrated because we have all the tools today. 
to know our strengths. And, and, and if people want to know the strengths, there is an instrument called the VIA, Values in Action, which is find, found at the VIA Institute, if they want to Google it, VIA, VIA Institute, and they can take the VIA, VIA, Values in Action instrument for free, for free. It takes 25 minutes and gives you a list of your strengths with the five top strengths that are your core strengths, which are the ones I read, Eugene, when I went up to my desk and changed my life. Then you can change your life in 25 minutes by taking a free instrument of positive psychology that is going to map, to tell you what your strengths are. Amazing. It's interesting that you did this 25 minute test two years before um, before you hit rock bottom, but you never checked the results? Was it, was it that you never opened to check the results? For sure, I super checked to change the results. And not only that, I took some classes and, you know, and certifications at the BI Institute. Then, uh, then I, 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 but you know, sometimes we forget the most important things. Sometimes we have moments, sparks of clarity and wisdom, and we let them go and reset, recess into some corner of the mind, okay, until they are awakened again. And I had my, I remember I had my, when I read my, my five top strengths, I was wow. And that's what I see with people. I had given the via to hundreds of people and I can see their faces when they see the top five strengths for the first time. Wow, curiosity, my number one strength or sociability. Now I know why, why I am good with people. Humor is my second one. I should use it more. I should help other people through difficult times using my humor. They begin applying and using it. Then yes, I knew my results, but I had forgotten all about them. And once you know your strengths, you need to create some kind of discipline and some kind of strategy to keep the strengths working, what we call anchoring the strengths, to anchor them, to create some kind of strategy by which you use them, okay? Then, then otherwise we forgot, we forget the best we have, okay? Then that moment I went up to my desk, I went back to who I was and I had forgotten. And I never ceased to be. So it was in this moment of, let's say, embracing positive psychology that you recognized that your uh, mental state was, it gave you this special wisdom, per se. The Maybe the most profound change, Eugene, I experienced is that when I read the top strengths, I said, not only I have these strengths, I think that because of my mental illness, 
I have a deeper sensitivity and I have explored them more profoundly than other people. And one thing I am doing now, I am reading biographies of people with mental illness. And that's a future book I'm going to be writing. But I have read 15 biographies in the last couple of months. And I just bought another 15. And one thing I have found in all the biographies, all of them, no exception, and I want people who are listening to this, maybe one of the most important messages I want to, to share, that every biography I read, people recognize at some point or another that their mental illness has given them some special wisdom. That within the pain and within the tragedy and between within the difficulties and the darkness, you either dwell in the pain without substance, or you come to a point in which you say, okay, you know, this is the cards, these are the cards I've been dealt with. What can I learn from it? that other people cannot learn from it. Because who knows about resilience, courage, darkness, uncertainty, courage, hope, survival, more than people who go through a chronic mental illness. But the illness deceives you. That's part of the illness. The illness makes you think that you are inferior to others. This is an illness that undermines your confidence. And if there is stigma, as there is, and the stigma, the voice of stigma is telling you all the time that you are, that you are defective goods, damaged goods, that you are a footnote in humanity, that you are not fully human, that your mind doesn't work. And that's the message you get and you buy into it, and life is difficult, and you feel lonely and isolated, then you are at the risk of thinking that you have nothing to offer. And what I say is that do not let your pain go to waste. If you find your strength, and you make a paradigm shift and begin asking, wait a minute, because of my experience, actually I am, a, I am a master at life, more than somebody who has not gone through the experience. Needless to say that maybe that no, no one of us would like to choose to go through pain. Then I am saying go through pain to become wiser. I don't take that deal. But hey, we are already here. Let's make lemonade, okay? And what I want to tell people with mental illness, you have the opportunity of unique wisdom. And yes, in the midst of crisis, it's very difficult to extract wisdom. We survive. We just try to make it. 
but there are moments of clarity after the storm. Okay, there are moments of quiet after the storm. There are moments of reflection after the storm. And instead of trying just to relax only and to enjoy the moment as we deserve it, take a second and say, what have I learned that makes me, because I gone through hell, a master of wisdom? So was it from this, from, from recognizing this as like reframing your mental state as a place of power? Was that the inspiration behind creating this community of wisdom? Then, then, then I said, look, then I said, I began, you know, I, I began asking the question of, okay, part of the, you know, I, I went, I, I, I once was at the hospital at an outpatient program. Okay. He was at the hospital. We met on the afternoon from two to five. There were workshops led by great social workers, very caring people, I am one of them. But I look at the workshops. One workshop was on how to avoid conflict. Okay, another workshop was on how to control your temper. Okay, every workshop they were offering was about how to avoid doing something wrong. And the assumption was that because we had a mental illness, that we were on the wrong side. And all they had to teach us is how to correct ourselves. What's about fixing us? Okay, and fixing us on our sociability and fixing us on our character. And I said, fine, we need help. But why isn't anybody asking the question to the group? You've been for a month from two weeks at the ward, deprived of your freedom, deprived of your will, spending time with each other. What have you learned about life, about the value of your freedom? What thoughts have gone through your mind? What could you tell the world about what you learn in this place? Because I tell you, I learn a lot about humanity in this place. I learn a lot about kindness, about how each of us at the world took care of each other. I learned about what happened when you take away all the comfort of life and you are just yourself. Being yourself while you are with a mental illness and you are actually more yourself sometimes at the world than you are outside, okay? And I know and I learned what to really care for others and listen to others, okay? Because boredom is absolute at the world and then every other person becomes a story you want sometimes to listen to. If you are functional, clearly, Okay, you have some level of functionality. Then why isn't anybody asking us, okay, what we learn, what wisdom we can offer? Why the only thing they're teaching us is that we are 
defected and we don't know how to do this and we don't and I, and, and I said no no I want people to ask me what I can offer after going through such an experience that very few people go through and that's when I came up with the idea I want to create a community of wisdom okay and I want you know was it a guy there who I was sitting next to who was sedated sedated was like sleeping through the the workshops and i remember the social worker said who supported you and who supports you through this time and he woke up he suddenly woke up and eugene gave the most profound touching testimony about the love of his family and then kind of went back to sleep and he said, oh my God, if I could have recorded what this guy said. And I imagine that people looking at him say, may think he has nothing to say. And at that moment I say, oh my God, this wisdom has to be recorded, has to be available. And that's how I came with the idea of the wisdom of mental illness and creating communities of wisdom uh, can you imagine think tanks of people who have mental illness? If we would think about ourselves this way, okay? Prestigious think tank, not everybody is invited, okay? Okay, hey, we have exclusivity because we have experiences that not everybody has gone through and our wisdom is superb, profound. Now, that's when I came with a book that I mentioned to you before, um, which is called The Wisdom of Mental Illness, Finding Strength in Your Struggle. And, and what is special about the book is that, first of all, it's free, because if I want to create and invite people to create a community of wisdom, no barriers, full participation, no constraints, then I made it free. And the book is interactive. At the end of each chapter, there is a link. People click the link, go to a site, and can share the wisdom anonymously. Okay, only first name. And there are chapters like acceptance, wholeness, loneliness, shame, uncertainty, eh, diagnosis, prayer, taking pills. Okay, all an array of different experiences. And, and, and people go, download the book, participate, read it, give it to friends. I The book was released a week ago and I already have over uh, 300 downloads and I haven't done almost any social media. And I'm getting the most amazing, amazing wisdom People are participating. Uh, let me invite those who are listening, if you want to download the book for free, it's found at my website, is bipolarrabbi.com. Okay, bipolar rabbi is two R's, the R of bipolar and of rabbi, and two B's, rabbi, B-B-I. Then bipolarrabbi.com, they go there, no commitment, no demands, Download it for free uh, and, and become, become part of a community. 
and and and, and let's defeat stigma because I, I am a believe, believer that we are going to diminish defeat stigma when we go out to the world and share our wisdom. I, I don't like when we beg for recognition and equality, okay? Uh, uh, we are begging nobody, okay? We are taking our rightful place around the table of society because we deserve it through our wisdom. And I don't think that we have begun even to tell the world um, all we can teach. Yes, 100%. That's exactly the message that I've had here with Leeway as well, is the only way that we can break the stigma around mental health is by being more open to having those conversations about our mental health, especially with our friends and our family. So I have so much respect for you creating this community of people who can talk about their mental health in a way that will help them to overcome that stigma. The difference is that I hear a lot of people with mental illness through organizations who tell the story, okay? And they, they tell the story and they elicit empathy, empathy, and they'll tell the story and they normalize mental illness and they'll tell the story and become fully human and they tell the story and they educate. And I, I think that that's, amazing. I am talking about something different. I am talking about wisdom. We are not just telling our story or looking for empathy and educating. No, we are in a position of leadership. Okay, we have wisdom. It's a different take, Eugene. Okay, I, I, there are plenty of people who are going to schools that are going you know, to, to, to place it to hospitals and sharing the story. And that's fabulous, fabulous. That's fine. And I've done it many times. Here, I am asking for the extra step. I asking people to say what they can say about courage, what they can say about resilience and about darkness, what is darkness, what they can teach about hope through their experiences. Okay, it's a little bit of a different take. What I'm saying is that people with mental illness have an experience and sensitivity and content about the core issues of being human that has not been yet articulated, okay? You find them a lot in biographies, by the way, good biographies. That's why I'm reading them. And I have a PhD in philosophy and I hate biographies because biographies are too detailed Okay, and I have, as a philosopher, I like the big ideas. But I began reading biography, biographies and I said, oh my God, I mean, like, what wisdom here, pure wisdom. Okay, and, and unfortunately, th those biographies are not read by the, sometimes by the general population. Because who reads biographies with people with mental illness? Usually people with mental illness and their caregivers. Okay, okay, then what we need to do is to write general books about the general topics from the perspective of people with mental illness. In other words, yes, we can write books about courage for each other. I want to teach courage to the person down the block and to be 
proud of who I am and who you are and say, because of my mental illness, I can teach courage to everybody. That's a different take from just sharing stories. Say more difficult, more demanding, okay? Definitely, Eugene, by knowing your strengths, that's why I use positive psychology. The science of positive psychology gives you a chance to articulate, actually, your experiences. That's why I merge positive psychology with the experience of mental illness. Awesome. So if anyone wants to check out the book, they can grab it over at the bipolarrabbi.com. I'll throw the yeah, link into the show notes as well. Bipolar Rabbi altogether. Yeah, that's just one word. Yeah, that, go there, download it, enjoy it, share it. I'm, I'm ab above all, participate because it's interactive. Okay, it's in, in that way, I do not know many books written within the field of mental health where people who have a mental illness and their caregivers and other people with empathy and love, they can share their experience. Okay, that's why I did it interactive and I took care of all the expenses, technological expenses. This is not easy to put together technologically. Okay, I had to work with a team of of people who know a lot about technology than I do. And we work diligently. I could have, I could have just published a book. I didn't want to do that. I wanted interactive to create a community. Rabbi Alfredo, it was great having you here on the show. And I, again, kudos to you for creating this community for people to share their wisdom. 